We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. All right, that means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare air. Welcome in to another edition of Upper Quartile. I'm James Boyd alongside my editor, Jim Aiello. We have much to discuss because, I don't know if you heard, Jim, but Anthony Richardson finally played a game, a real game. With, I know, <laughs> with real analysis, um, obviously some real takeaways, both literally and figuratively. So we'll start there. I was not surprised by the way he played it all. I wasn't taken aback. It was about what I expected. And I'm curious because we finally get to look at these things together. What was your impression of seeing him perform? And how excited were you to actually have football to analyze rather than looking at my vague tweets? <laughs> we were just talking about before the podcast, like it, and, and even on the last podcast. Like I was so excited to actually watch football, watch Anthony Richardson play and not just have to like rely on everybody else. So there was like a ton of stuff that I could see and go, oh, that's what James was talking about. Or or like, yeah, no, he hasn't really gotten better in this area yet. Or, yeah, so, but overall, I, I was actually pretty encouraged by what I saw. I know a lot of people were concerned about the pick. I think there's a lot of reasons we can get into later about why that pick happens and, and what happens. But again, like, I don't want to do the Peyton Manning thing. He threw 27 picks his rookie year. Like, <laughs> again, everybody's heard that. Everybody knows. But, like, it's one play. Like, you can't read into any of it that much. It's just the way it is. I mean, I can't tell you how many, again, if you guys were ever watching Andrew Luck, like, good as he was. Once, twice a game throughout his whole career, pretty much, he would make one ridiculously bad throw. And you're like, what was he looking at or seeing or thinking? So, again, I don't want to break everything down on, on one play. I thought he made a lot of really, really good decisions, a lot of good plays. I thought Shane Steigen did a wonderful job of not putting too much on his plate early on. It was a lot of RPOs, a lot of like, hey, one, two, not there, run or one, two, throw. I think there was a couple of times where he actually did progress to a, two, a second or a third read. There was one particular throw to Michael Pittman. The ball that he actually sailed that he didn't catch, it was over his head. But that was like his third read. And if he had just, and we can talk about this because it's a footwork thing, but if he had just stepped into the throw a little bit more, it would have been a great completion and a great play. So again, I thought there were a lot of kernels, a lot of nuggets of positive play there from Anthony Richardson. But you were there. So so I mean, again, we, and, and like, obviously you guys go check out what James has thought on, on The Athletic. But what were, you know, you, you've had a couple of days to digest now. What, what were your kind of main takeaways from what you saw? Yeah, so actually I was not there. I was watching it on oh, TV. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, you know, trying to save some money there in the company budget. But I definitely watched a lot of the plays back. And one of the conveniences of being at home is like, you know, I got YouTube TV, so you can just run it back in real time. I ran it back a couple hours later to watch pretty much all of his plays. And I thought that when I saw the early pick, my biggest thing wasn't really the pick itself because – when you're watching it live, you're like, wow, it's a horrible decision. And then you find out later that Isaiah McKenzie more or less admitted to running the wrong, wrong route or being on a different page than Anthony Richardson. Shane Sykin said there was a miscommunication. That's the word that Isaiah McKenzie used as well. I still think that the majority of the pick or whose fault it is should fall on Anthony Richardson because you're the one with the ball. And you yeah, can't just yeah, you can't just sling it because that's what the play is, and he was supposed to do something else. You got to be able to read, react in real time and obviously realize that it's better to try to throw it away or throw it in the dirt rather than just throw it kind of up for grabs. So I understand people sort of being frustrated with like, oh, we coddling this guy too much. He's a rookie, so you don't want to like kill his confidence and put everything on his, bl on his plate or, or blame him. But, you know, he took ownership of it. He said it himself like, hey, I can't be Superman. And I was like, wow, that is so on the nose considering that your owner called you a superhero you know before you even practice so there's that 
But I thought that the response from that play in particular was pretty good. Came back on the next drive, had a few completions, get back in the rhythm, got downfield. And then obviously the throw that everyone's talking about besides the pick to me is the beautiful throw he made to Alec Pierce. Oh, so good. Which obviously I was not watching the game with anybody else in my apartment by myself watching the game. And I audibly was like, oh, wow. Because in my mind, I was like, that is a deep dime. And it was like just the angle of the throw is what kind of enticed me about it because it wasn't just a typical, hey, this guy beats you know, somebody up the field, just throw it deep, he's wide open, or he got to step on a guy. It was like Alec ran this deep post and then he, you know, threw it up timing wise. I mean, it was before Alec kind of made his break. The timing of it was perfect. He dropped it right into the bread basket and Alec dropped it. Now, I will say it's a tough catch. It's not like he, you know, was wide open and just let it slip through his hands. However, I know Alec Pierce um, enough by now to to recognize that he's never going to make any excuses for that. And he's going to beat himself op- over that because it should have been a touchdown. And Jim, as you know, if Alec catches his touchdown pass, the narrative of yeah, people are losing their minds <laughs> so much. And they're losing their minds either way because they were like, oh, Alec Pierce dropped this pass. He's horrible. No, he's not horrible. He made, you know, he he made a mistake or miscue, whatever you want to uh, call it. But don't write Alec Pierce off of a one play in preseason. However, I mean, Jim, what was your take? Obviously, there's many throws. And I thought that, like you said, a lot of his misses, he was kind of sped up. And then you can see like the, the mechanics, the footwork. The footwork is key. The arm is fine. The footwork wasn't lining up. When his feet were usually set, the ball went where it was supposed to go. So on that throw, what was your reaction to seeing him just layer it that way and make a throw that you're like, okay, that's what the best quarterbacks do? Just watch him on that play. It's a play action pretty much, and he takes two or three steps back and then steps into it. Like you could almost... It's almost like a basketball player stepping into a jumper. The way he does this, he like glides into the throw. Everything in his body is moving toward where he wants to throw the ball to Alec Pierce. And so many times throughout this game, that's not what you saw. And again, this is all stuff that he can work on and will get better at. I'm not trying to be too negative about it. But when he missed, it's because his foot wasn't going. His front foot wasn't going to where his where the ball was supposed to be going. Or he was trying to use it off his black foot. I mean, the guy... Again, to use another basketball term, he almost reminds me of like a point guard who he will try to throw the ball or pass the ball with eight different angles. Like he doesn't mind changing his arm angle at all, like a shortstop or again, like he doesn't mind going sidearm or over the top or what he'll do whatever it takes to get the ball there. And again, that's great in terms of being creative and being able to make plays. But when everything is working the way you want it to, it was exactly that throw where he steps back. It's, you know, two or hits, hits his back foot, glides right into the throw and lost it. And again, I think people don't have to understand on a play going toward the middle, that's a little bit easier of a throw. You got more field to work with. You kind of, it's a little easier to see as a quarterback when you got the whole field. Pierce is going toward the corner. That's a harder throw to make because you have to drop it in a bucket over the defensive back. You have to, you're, you're working with the sideline against the sideline, I should say. It's a really, really tough throw to make. And he makes it again, snap decision, end of his drop. And then flips it over the over the DB right into Alec Pierce's hands. Like that's the kind of throw that gets you so excited. I think as a Colts fan, I think it's what got the Colts excited to draft him in general. So I yeah, that throw to me was particularly the one that you got to go. Yeah, that's it. And again, credit to Shane Steichen because again, that was perfectly drawn up. He didn't have to do too much reading on the play, and he was able to drop the ball into Pierce. Now I will say on Pierce, there was a pass interference I think a little bit earlier in the game, or maybe yeah, a little bit earlier in the game where he it was a kind of a back shoulder throw. I wanted to hang on to that one too. So I was a little bit, I was a little bit frustrated with Pierce's hands in that game. He's got to help out. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that, but yes, I watched that play as well. And I was like, that's another one where he's going to say, I got to have that because 
if you look at the play, you know, there was pass interference, but it wasn't while he was catching the ball. It kind of happened. He he shook free still, and then it kind of like, you know, threw off his timing a little bit, but it's like you got to snag that man. So, again, everyone was freaking out last year when Alec Pierce had, you know, sort of that dud season opener debut at Houston where he drops a touchdown pass, gets concussed, all those things. But let's remember, you know, I believe it might have been week six or whatever it was where he catches the deep touchdown pass. It was basically like a walk-off game winner against Jacksonville. So if there's anyone who's mentally strong to bounce back, I think it is Alec Pierce, and I think he's shown that. But, yeah, I was impressed with the way Anthony Richardson responded after the early pick. Obviously, that throw was one of them. But even then, when you look at you know a couple of his plays where he's able to – shake free of a defender because there was one like free rusher i believe where he just kind of like you know excuse me get out the way it was greg rousseau who weighs and i wrote this down he weighs 266 pounds and and anthony richardson just stiff armed him into the ground essentially going yeah i don't care unbelievable his first rush attempt he lowers his shoulder on the sideline and runs over the cornerback and i was thinking to myself okay one if you're a football football guy or woman you're like Man, yeah, like, yeah, you know, put it on. (laughs) But then also, if you're like a coach or also that fan who's like, wait a second, like, you know, there's, there's, you know, time and place for that. So you like the aggression, you like the physicality. I do think, though, there's going to have to be more teaching when it comes to hits and when to throw it away. Cause there was one where he kind of screwed out to the sideline, didn't have anything, took an unnecessary hit because of it. And I'm like, you got to get rid of that one. And a sack. He lost yeah. He lost yards. Yeah, exactly. I broke that one down too. That was a negative play. Like, you got you to get rid of the ball. Yeah, and so in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you got to throw that away. Don't take an unnecessary, unnecessary hit. Don't take, you know, yards for loss because you're waiting to create the spectacular. And I think it's Mike Tomlin uh, who says this, you know, routine plays routinely. And that's what he has to do. Now, I know it's a cliche, but seriously – the routine plays are going to be the key, I think, to Anthony Richardson developing in this league because the other stuff that can't really be taught, it can be fine-tuned. It can't be taught as far as, like, you know, arm angles and arm talent and, you know, his pocket, you know, presence and stuff like that. And even, like you said, stiff-arming guys to the ground to keep plays alive. You can't always teach that stuff. But the reads and the checkdowns, the throwaways, stuff like that is always good. And even to start the game, like you said, I thought they made a concerted effort to make sure that he saw the ball get completed. Like their first shot wasn't, you know, a deep shot down the field. It wasn't a crosser, you know, uh, across the middle. It was, hey, here's Isaiah McKenzie on a five yard, you know, just, you know, a, a check down. And here's, you know, Evan Hall. Or here's, you know, certain guys just get you in a rhythm and see the, the chains actually move. And I think those play calls by Shane Steichen are very, very important, you know, not only to keep, try to keep the offense moving, but building the confidence of your young rookie quarterback who's taking it all in. But I will say that pick when he threw it, I was like, man, there it is. Like this, that, like that youth and not in a, not a negative way. I just wanted to see how he would react to like that first real NFL pressure and he went right back to like, you know, maybe some old habits or something like that. And it's not saying that it's a bad thing. It's just a human thing. And I was like, okay, there it is. Like he's so superhuman in other aspects, but he's also very mortal in others. And, it, you know, it's all learned a part of like the growing process, I would say. 
A hundred percent. I think you're right. And I, 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 I was really impressed by the way he did bounce back again. It's a testament to what you guys have been reporting about him throughout training camp and what you've known of him. This, these, these things kind of just slide right off of nothing sticks with him, whether it's success or failure, nothing seems to stick with him. He just keeps moving forward, which you have to love. And again, I, I just, I just want to see him continue to make things. And again, I think Steichen did a great job of making things easy on him. I want him to make things easy on him. So when we're talking about that sack that he took, when he took the hit and he lost yards, I remember it was a couple of years ago. I wrote something when Philip Rivers was there and it was about, about how he was not a very mobile quarterback, but he did such a good job of when he took sacks and he didn't take many sacks that year. He only lost like three, four, five yards at most. And if you look like if you, if you took those yards that he lost in sacks versus a guy like, I forgot it was like Lamar Jackson. And he lost like, I think it was like a few hundred yards in sacks total. And obviously Lamar Jackson creates a lot of yards rushing, but if you take away yards he's lost in sacks and then you add in what like you know the difference between what philip rivers lost like you start to shrink how much that running makes a difference and anthony richardson again one of the, the things that i think we all loved about him in college was didn't take a lot of sacks he made a lot of smart plays with the ball so he's got to continue to do that in the nfl because that will make his life so much easier it's not again we're going to the cliches but not playing behind the sticks let's not play second and 14 let's not play third and 13 like, if you can get yourself you know second and 10 after an incomplete pass because the play broke down, you threw it away. Okay, make just make life a little bit easier on yourself. And that's the stuff, again, preseason game, first game, that's going to happen. Like, he's going to make these kinds of mistakes, and he's going to be in the moment. And like you said, like, he reverts to some bad habits. Again, there was a couple of throws where you could just see he's throwing the ball, but his body is drifting backward as he's throwing it, and that's when the ball takes off on him. And so it's just it's just little stuff. But he's going to have to get, again, I think Jim Irsay has said it. I think Steichen has said it. I think Chris Ballard has said it reps he just needs reps and then the more he reps in real live action games the more he's going to be able to take what he's being taught by all of his coaches about this play, uh, you know the footwork and, and how to step into throws and doing all that right he's gonna be able to apply that to games and you're going to see the incremental improvement and real quick i'll add i think one of the most fascinating things about his development just throughout his career is that he hasn't been the superstar prodigy kid all of his life you know i had this story that I read from Alec Lewis uh, here at The Athletic where he talked about, you know, all these private, you know, quarterback coaches. And in that story, they talk about Anthony Richardson working with some people on his mechanics and things like that. But the story kind of dives into how these young prodigy quarterbacks, you know, they have quarterback coaches from the time they're like 13 or 14. And, you know, they're, they're winning state championships and they're going to these different places and they're getting their body movement scanned and all that stuff. Anthony Richardson, we know his background, like he didn't grow up that way at all. So I would say probably going to Florida and then becoming, you know, the, the main guy there was probably his first chance to really hone in on like the mechanics, all that. Cause before that, you know, he was just playing, you know? And, and so I think that's a, a point I, I definitely want to make is when I look at some of his career, when I read about his career and when he talked about even in that player's tribune, article that he put out there right before the draft where he's like yeah like I didn't go to all these camps like everybody else did but you know people didn't have to learn lessons I did growing up the way I did so I think that this is a, a point in his life where he's trying to play catch up like he's not a Bryce Young he's not you know a, a person with, that had a bunch of opportunities to go to all these different camps he's not you know Justin Fields he didn't go to some like powerhouse you know, high school, you know, where you get all these offers and games or, you know, whatever it, it was kind of, he was kind of like the neighborhood kid who ended up being really, really, really good. And so that's the difference between like 
you know, he wasn't going to, you know, all these elite camps where, you know, where it's like, you know, Trevor Lawrence might have been to and things like that, Joe Burrow. And so I'm excited to see what it becomes being just 21 now that all he has to do is just work on the game rather than, you know, trying to, you know, like I said, be like this child prodigy. He never really was that. Like he's been athletically gifted. Everyone you talk to from his childhood till now will tell you he's an alien, but it hasn't been to the point where, like people knew he was destined for this. It was more so like, oh, this kid's really raw, but what if he becomes this? And that's kind of what the Colts are hoping with him right now. And like I said, everyone out there, don't panic. It was, you know, one game. We'll see more of that NFL education this week, obviously, with the joint practices and potentially with the, uh, you know, game two preseason against the Bears. I do think he'll play. I don't think it's going to be a lot you know, maybe not as much, uh, or maybe around the same is is week one. I don't expect more reps because of the live practices and stuff like that. So we'll see from there. But you know, I guess the, the last quick thought I'll make on Anthony Richardson, at least get your your thoughts on it, is what do you think of Shane Steichen saying that they're they haven't decided a starter for the week two preseason game, and they haven't decided a starter at all. You know, just for the season. You know, I think it's fine. I, yeah, to me. <laughs> Man, it's hard. I guess I I typically don't like the coach speaky stuff. He's got to learn <laughs> that stuff. That does that stuff kind of drives me crazy. And I'm more in again. I think I've told you I'm more in the camp of get this guy as many reps as possible. And this season is all about. I heard you and you had a great spot on on the athletic football podcast with Robert Mays. I heard you guys talking about what progress is this year, and it's just him. I mean, that's it. Like, the only thing that matters this season is is his progress and and what it, can you build around him or not. And again, you might not find that out in year one. Sometimes it takes a couple of years to know for sure. You have to take a step. You have to know if you can take a step forward this year uh, with Anthony Richardson. That's the only thing that matters. So to me, I just wanted to play. And again, whether starting preseason games, whatever, it doesn't matter matter to me. Like you said, he's going to get a ton of live reps against the Bears. Obviously, they won't hit him, but he'll get a ton of live reps against the Bears this next couple of days with joint practices. But as far as that goes, I want to see him start. I want to see him play as much as he can. And again, if the season doesn't go great, that's okay. As long as there are tangible things to build on. I will add to what you point. I thought it was, I think it's a fantastic point that you made about him not growing up within all these like super quarterback camps and you know all the elite passing academies and all that stuff. He's got such a long way to go, which is again, that has to be so exciting. I think as a Colts fan, because you see what's there already. And then you realize that he's just kind of doing it on the fly. It's kind of impressive. I, one of the things I really liked, and this came from a conversation I had with Frank Reich once was about, I think a lot of other quarterbacks watch this and it's something I've watched ever since like Frank Reich told me about it was watch the way he carried out fakes on the RPOs. Like once he gives the ball to the running back, we'll see what he does afterward because he cares. He's putting in the time. Like he, he is doing the things. If it stalls a defensive end or a linebacker for even like a split second, maybe his running back then breaks it and he's doing it. I was watching. He's carrying out these fakes. He's doing the little stuff. Or he's trying to do the little stuff. Well, to me, that's hugely important. And again, things that you would have learned when you're 14 at a passing Academy, but he probably didn't. And so these are things that Shane Steichen is installing in instilling in him. You got to look for the little things like that. And I think Richardson is showing a lot of that progress. So yeah, to answer your question, I really want to see, to me, it's the more you see Anthony Richardson, the better that that's my answer. to that. Maybe a tip of the hand will be how many first team reps he gets against the bears and joint practices, because if they continue to rotate, I just don't see the benefit of that because, and maybe we can, you know, pivot, into this and, and we can save Shaq for the back end, but the offensive line, it looked pretty good. And now Braden Smith was out on the, on the, on the at the right tackle spot and it, it was noticeable. I definitely think that it affected their push. And as much as people want to, you know, get on him and others, 
invest a lot of money in him. He's not going anywhere, so they have to hope that he's just better this season than he was last season. Now, obviously, he's a little banged up now. Doesn't sound like anything too concerning. I know Shane Steichen, the joke is that he always says he has a little something, but he did elaborate and said that it's, you know, a couple of days for Braden Smith with nothing where he's going to be out an extended period of time or like, you know, not available by week one. That's definitely not, you know, something that he said. But I think that with that offensive line, it looked pretty good, like I said, with the, the starters that were out there. But the drop off from, you know, your starting four or five with Blake Freeland, the rookie, getting in for Braden Smith was terrible. So to me, the other benefit of making sure that Anthony Richardson gets the first team reps, besides obviously trying to get him to develop, is protecting him because, I mean, Gardner Minshew was given no time on his first two dropbacks, and it was rough. And I'm like, and this is a guy, Gardner Minshew, who doesn't hold the ball. He doesn't take unnecessary sacks. He, you know, he's made a career off of being the smart, witty guy and a really good one, you know, 44 touchdown passes against 15 interceptions. And so when I saw that first drop back, I was like, oh, my gosh, okay. You know, Danny Pinter got pushed right into his lap. And then the next play, you know, Emil Ekior Jr., who – was supposed to be, I believe, like a you know mid-round pick, dropped out of the draft because of some some knee issues and some medical issues regarding his knee. He completely whiffed on his block on the next play. He looked, quite honestly, just overmatched you know, at the NFL level for that first game. I don't know if it's jitters. I don't know if it's, hey, you know, maybe it's just too much. We'll see. But, I mean, Jim, they cannot feel good about that offensive line, or at least what's behind them. Like, I'm not even saying the offensive line. I think in my story I said, hey, well, Stout, I thought it really was. You know, after that first drive, they, they got good ball movement. Now, you obviously want to see them convert on fourth and one, which was a thing last year. But after that, oh, my goodness. I was like, they have to bring somebody in. right? I just I don't understand how you can go forward with seriously. Tony Sperano Jr. might, and I wrote this in one of my previews for the, the preseason game, you know, they're trying to pay him to be an offensive line coach and a magician because, I mean, my goodness, Jim, it was it was rough. I'm like scared. Seriously, I was like, that is that was the most alarming thing, probably negative wise that I saw from that game. I'm going to start with one thing in defense of the Colts reserves, and then I'm going to completely agree with you. One thing is that the Buffalo Bills have an insanely yeah. <laughs> deep front yeah. uh, defensive line. Like their defensive, their, their, their second row weight wave rotation could start for a lot of teams. Yeah, they're good. They're a good defense overall too. Yeah. Oh, exactly. They're a great defense overall. And once they pull their starters out, they still have like four guys who are pretty freaking good on the defense. <laughs> right, so right. I will just say that now to your point, I don't understand. And I, 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 I covered the Colts through this. I left the Colts and now I'm doing this with you and I'm banging my freaking head against the wall because I just don't understand why Chris Ballard and the Colts have not put more resource into fixing this offensive line. It's literally from the moment Anthony Costanza retired and they just haven't had it. And it, it drives me crazy every off season that there isn't a little more investment. Now here's the thing. The funny part is not the funny part, but this is the reality. Every team probably has four to five offensive linemen. They feel good about, and the rest of them are scrambling. There's a couple of teams like the Eagles, maybe who have a little bit more than that, but they're, they're clutching their depth, you know, close to them. They're not giving it up. There aren't offensive linemen out there. Here's a good example. End of training camp last year, cutdown day. The Eagles traded Matt Pryor to the Colts as uh, I think it was like a seventh round pick or something like that. That was their depth. Matt Pryor, Colts fans, you guys remember how good he was. That didn't go so well, but that's what's available at this time of the year. So I don't see it getting any better in terms of outside additions, man. It, they got to, your, your guy, Tony Sperano, has got to pull the rabbit out of his hat. 
even if you say, okay, there's not much out there, can you at least look? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's my I'm thing. Sure like, I'm sure they're looking. Like, you know, because on paper and, and for us, and again, I'm, I'm never going to pretend like I'm in these meetings and I'm making these decisions and I would never pretend to know like how hard it is to like build a team and all those things. But when you look at the offensive line, just as in general, this offseason, and you say your two additions are the assistant coach, Tony Sperano Jr., and Blake Freeland, that's concerning. Like, you could have done something else, and, and the name that always pops is Dalton Risner. You know, he's still out there. He's still available. Now, the thing that I've always kind of pushed back on, I'm not saying that I'm right because it's, I'm just saying in reality, he would cost money, a significant amount of money, and they've already paid a significant amount of money to, you know, Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly. So they're probably not inclined to inject more money into a right guard or whatever. Get all of that. But to not have any other outside real like brought in or evaluated, we don't even have reports of like them working out anybody. Because in my mind, what's there? There hasn't been enough competition. And I think we'll see more of it now. Like you said, the Bills defense, the defensive front, which wasn't even, I don't even think it was at full strength, but it still was like, legit you know so I'll, I'll give them that but i mean if we see it against the bears and unique and gawkway for example you know re returns <laughs> and wreaks havoc on them i'm gonna be like what in the world is going on why didn't you address this because it feels kind of like deja vu not to that extent of last year where they were kind of just scrambling trying to figure out who they needed to start i think that they're better off starting the last five that they did last year and continuing that into this year they were better at the end of last year too but again, competition, 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 that has to be our priority. And then just knowing Chris Ballard, he's an offensive line. He's a tough trenches minded guy. I'm like, boy, oh boy, like this is a huge gamble you're taking on Tony Sperano Jr. And I just hope that you know, I did a story on it. I hope all, all the text messages he's sending to the offensive linemen, all the tips he's giving resonate because that to me, I was like, whoa, like. I just felt unsafe for Gardner Minshew <laughs> for that game. I don't know much about Tony Sperano Jr. Other than I will say this. The, one of the other teams that I edited at the athletic was, is the giants and their offensive line was fine last year. It was fine. It wasn't great. It was okay. It was, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's a lot to do with the coaching. Why Daniel Jones avoided some sacks and things like that. My point is not this, that, and he was the assistant offensive line coach there. My point is not that he's bad coach or anything like that. My point is to ask him to be a miracle worker. Seems like kind of an unfair ask. And, and so, Again, I think Chris Ballard does a lot of things well, but the offensive line, I don't know that the Colts fans have a ton of reason to trust him on this. Like he said, trust me on Eric Fisher, didn't work out. Like he said, trust me on a lot of these guys, Danny Pinter, Will Fries. Like, again, maybe these will work out. I don't know. Bernard Ryman, like maybe these will work out, but I don't think we've seen enough yet to believe him beyond Ryan Kelly, who he inherited, Quentin Nelson, who he drafted in the top five and Braden Smith, which again, I'll admit good fine. You know, he was supposed to be a guard only prospect and he ended up being able to play tackle. So that that is a good find. And again, I'm not trying to knock Chris Ballard overall. But again, when he says, trust me or I've done enough or it'll, it'll be fine. Like, man, it has the proof's been in the pudding the last couple of years. It hasn't been enough. So, yeah, I personally am worried. So and again, I think getting back to your ultimate point, the larger point here is you need Anthony Richardson. Again, you don't need the Lions Eagles offensive line where it's one of the best in football. But you need him not to be running for his life because you want something that's going to ruin mechanics and ruin confidence right away. That is it. And again, guy like Gardner Minshew, sorry, man, but like you can handle it. You've been in the NFL for a while. You played in Jacksonville when things weren't great. You can handle a bad offensive line. You're not the future of this franchise. Like 
that's okay. Like, that's okay if he has to deal with that. Richardson, I'm with you. You actually just kind of strengthen the point, I think, of trying to play him with the ones all the time. We talked about his mechanics, right? Stepping into throws. You know what's not going to get him to step into throws? If he's got pressure in his face. Again, he's going to be throwing off his back foot a lot more if that's what he's feeling. So I'm with you. I'm not trying to set off alarm bells on the offensive line. I'm with you. I think the first unit was was solid enough uh, with Braden Smith. It should be a little bit better. But yeah, the depth, man, it's... uh. It's brutal. And usually this time of year, that's when a lot of teams are finding out their depth on the depth on the offensive line isn't very good. And there just aren't a lot of ways to make it better. That's where I feel. Now we can pivot to, I believe, a positive. Now, let me hedge this by saying everyone out there who's like making all these deep analysis about Shaq Leonard and how fast he was running, how quickly he was moving. He didn't set the edge on that touchdown run by James Cook, whatever, whatever. First game back in 279 days. I counted. No, I didn't. I used a calculator on Google, (laughs) (laughs) but a date calculator. But my point is one of the benefits, I guess, of being um, at home is you got the in-game broadcast and you can just, you know, get the sideline reports from the greats, the GOAT, Lara Overton. And she was talking to all these players, you know, throughout the game, which is why we got the Isaiah McKenzie reaction, Anthony Richardson saying, hey, I played pretty decent. I think I could do better. Those types of things. But with Shaq, she asked him, you know, what is the step like what step is this in your recovery and he's like this is the biggest step just playing again being back out here now he didn't have a tackle he didn't really have an opportunity to get in on many plays when he was out there but i thought it was huge for him to start to get some game action again this is kind of up in the air before i mean hours before kickoffs when lara reported that hey he's going to be playing and i think just mentally for him it's a huge hurdle now that will continue this week with the joint practices which where he won't be like fully exploding on guys. Maybe he plays and finally gets that first tackle, that first hit. He did say he's still seeking out contact, but overall, I, I just think that um him being back out there after all of he's all that he's been through is a huge step forward, not only for him but for this defense, because as we know, they've missed him. And his absence has certainly been felt like I, I, I commend Zaire Franklin for stepping up. Bobby O'Karake last season, EJ Speed, but even all of those guys at their best is not, you know, Shaq. And I'm not even saying Shaq is his best or he's fully going to be back or whatever, but to see him like just tangibly take a step was huge. I'm with you. I think it's all mental. Like I said, all the physical stuff, the things that he did or didn't do on the field, it's a preseason. First of all, it's a preseason game. So who cares? No, Second it matters. Of all, it matters, yeah. Jim. Everything <laughs> that happens in preseason is the end all be all forever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like I said, it's just getting on the field and feeling confident in himself again. That's half these half like half the battle. It's 90% of the battle for these guys to come back from significant injury is just can I get all out there and feel confident that I can play the way that I used to play? And that's not gonna happen in one preseason game. Probably won't happen in three preseason games. It might not happen in the first few weeks of the season. It's going to take some time for him to feel like himself again. I'm thinking about it now, too, and I wish you could truth serum Matt Eberflus and uh, Alan Williams this week and be like, hey, does this look like the Shaq that you saw the first few years when you were with him versus now? Because they would tell you, I mean, they who would know better than those guys? Anybody making a big deal out of what they saw on the field from Shaq Leonard is, is being ridiculous. Yeah, what was it, like five or six, seven snaps or something like that? I didn't look at the uh, the, the snap counter um within the stats they provide us the next day but you know i usually do it just full disclaimer for those listening i usually look at those things very deeply after regular season games but i'm not gonna lie it was not very much a priority in my mind to look how many snaps Shaq played when i knew it was a limited amount and he didn't really make much plays but again middle of the defense i'm curious to see too and we haven't really gotten into this because a lot of it has been about his recovery but what will his 
role in that defense looked like because again when he was at the peak of his powers in 2021 even though he was playing hurt then it was at a different scheme different role like things have changed now we haven't talked much about that we haven't seen him in it a lot and he's sort of a read and react guy like I don't know if he is you know I think Richard Smith talked about it last week like he might not do everything technically right but he makes up for it because of his anticipation his vision his just knack for the football. And I think it's something that a lot of coaches kind of, at least the defensive ones that I've talked to through my first two years here, it's kind of innate. Like you, you can teach it, but you can't, you know, just finding a nose for the ball, you know, having that ability to turn the ball over, those sort of things. And so I thought that, again, that was a huge step in the, fir- in the right direction. Now the next step is when he lays the boom for the first time, it could be this upcoming preseason game against the Bears. It could be, you know, during the regular season. But the point is when he – like makes that first crack or even if he gets cracked, whatever it is, and just pops back up. That'll be, I think huge because again, last year at this time, he was really laboring and not looking the same to me on the tape. He didn't look, you know, 100% Shaq Leonard, you know, maniac, whatever, but he looked to me much better than he did at any point last year where he was just kind of out there and and really laboring and, and kind of just forcing himself to be available. So we'll see how it goes. When you know Shaq's back, to me, it's you, I think you've talked about this before, where he had that interception last year, but it kind of fell into his lap. Like it wasn't really him that created the play so much as it was him just kind of, you know, being on the good on the right end of the stick on a good play. I think when you'll know Shaq is Shaq again, is when he's punching the ball out from a running back's arms, chasing him from behind, when he's tipping a pass or intercepting a pass, like when he's getting in throwing lanes that nobody's expected to because his arms are they're stupid long. That's when you'll start to know that Shaq Leonard is Shaq Leonard again, is when he's creating impact plays. Like I think even during the peak of his powers, there were games where he got taken out of it a little bit because he's not like the greatest block shedder in the world at linebacker. There's games where he can be beaten, but then he'd usually find a way to make up for it in some way. If he wasn't making 18 tackles that day, well, okay, he's punching the ball out or he's tipping a pass or he's, you know, he's intercepting a pass by himself or he's getting a sack. I mean, he would find ways to make up for, for that or you know those monster games where he would do it all. When you start seeing Shaq Leonard, it won't be... Even if, even if it's 14 tackles, like that's great, but it's going to be those impact plays. That's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be finding a way to punch the ball out or tip the pass or something like that. And that's going to be when you know Shaq Leonard is Shaq Leonard again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think we can pivot now to like stock risers, maybe some stock fallers. One guy who's... I haven't asked you about Jonathan Taylor yet. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we, I, we, can, we can end on that, honestly. <laughs> We're legally obligated to at least bring up his name. All right, so I will knock this out in 30 seconds. (laughs) How nice do I want to be about this? Okay, so I see the stories from other outlets about, you know, Shane Steichen saying, hey, he's going to be back this week. He's expected to be back this week. Back does not mean on the practice field actually practicing. So to me, it's honestly a non-story. Like if I wanted to put it out there to generate a conversation, I could. But there is no news from this i believe i tweeted this out yesterday and everyone i was kind of surprised to see it kind of take off the way it did on social media a bit because in my mind i'm like this is the same thing that Shane like i said a couple days ago where he's like yeah he should be back next week now things that we don't know what day he's going to be back this week if he'll practice this week if he's still like upset with the team like we i would assume he is doesn't want to play for them whatever but there is no new jt anything to me it's just Shane Sykin gave a little bit more saying he should be back this week, but should and will are totally different. Knowing the date of when your star running back is going to actually be with the team again is not, you know, uh, something that you can just kind of gloss over. So 
to me, the whole JT thing is what it's been. And even if he does show up, you know, let's say tomorrow for practice, you know, 9 a.m. bright and early, if he's not practicing and he's not talking, there's no news. I mean, what, what, Jim? I, I, I love to send you stories, but I'm not going to send you one that's not a story. <laughs> like, there's just nothing going on with that. Am I losing my mind? I'm, no, I'm not going to add anything. I'm not going to make you do it anymore. Like I said, I just wanted you to get it out there. Maybe I'm actually antagonizing you, frankly. I'm just making you do it. But I'm I, just thinking about, I'm like, am I losing my mind? I'm like, I, you know, in other respects, I think it depends on, you know, whatever you think is news. But in my mind, I'm like, am I missing something? Like, you know, because I got all these guys, you know, notifications on, and, you know, for obviously Scheffner and, and, and Palacero and others. And I'm like, am I missing something? Like, is, is this? But then that's when I have to trust my own, like, reporting and my own presence. Because I'm like, okay, I've been here every day. So, no, I know more than anybody else, or at least, you know, more than some of these people who might not be here every day, is that JT is where JT's been, unavailable. So, until he is, there's no real news there. But I will say this, though. Every day that passes, every week that passes, we're getting closer to what I believe will be some sort of resolution where there is, you know, something that has to be done because you cannot... I, in my mind, I don't see the Colts and him like remaining at this standstill standoff when real games actually get played. And then we kind of get into the, okay, are the kickouts going to come off? Is it still a legitimate injury? Is it not a legitimate injury? Is it a holding? Is it a holdout? All that stuff will probably come to the forefront. Um, but I will say this. Uh, I mean, unless JT goes full-blown James Harden, like I saw this morning, <laughs> James Harden's over in China saying he'll never, ever play, you know, for Daryl Morey again or not work with this guy. Unless JT comes out and says, I'm never going to play for, J you know, Jim Ursay again or the Colts. What, what, there's no news. Nothing's going to happen. So we can just kind of relax there and probably just check in on what hoodie he wears if he's out there watching practice again. So I'm so tempted just to just to try to fluster you and ask you more questions. But I won't. I'm just going to like I said, before we end here, like I said, just give just give the listeners a few uh yeah, a few stock risers. Who some some of the names we haven't talked about that you liked what you saw during the first preseason game. Yeah, I would say Daryl Baker Jr., stock riser, you know, didn't, you know, have a huge day or huge stat line, but I thought that third down pass breakup where he sort of ran the guy's route for him showed off his length by getting a hand in there, almost picked it. That's the kind of play that helps him, you know, continue to sort of carve out an opportunity in that defensive backs room. Obviously the play of the game came from Darius Rush, who uh, benefited from a, you know, a tough throw from Kyle Allen, not Josh Allen. I was like, wow, they would have two Allens on their roster. And Joel Erickson tweeted out something like, Allen throws the pick. And I'm like, Allen? Which Allen? I'm like, wait a second. So I had to like make sure that I knew who was out there. But yes, Pick six on that play. I thought Titus Leo underrated on that play, kind of made that play because he came around the edge, forced him to throw it early, and then that obviously led to Darius Rush getting the pick six in his first NFL action. I thought Josh Downs looked pretty good. But the thing about it is he hasn't developed that chemistry with Anthony Richardson yet. Like, he seems to be on the same page as Gardner Minshew and continues to get open, but you'd like to see Anthony and him sort of build that relationship and build that chemistry because I've said it on Twitter. I think Josh Downs is probably the least worried I am about any offensive rookie. I think what he does just translates pretty easily. And the stuff that he's done well is not stuff that he necessarily has to learn, like at the NFL level. For example, with AR, a lot of his mechanics is this. 
Josh Downs' his mechanics, his route running, all that stuff is why he got chosen where he was because of, but despite his size. Yeah, so he'd be a first rounder if he was, you know, six foot. You know? Exactly. So he's a stock riser, I thought, as well. Dio, I thought, looked pretty good. Came, you know, had some impact plays, had a sack there. I thought that he, you know, showed something. Um, you'd like to see more of it from him, Quiddy, and the others. And then as far as I don't know, your what's your take on maybe some guys you'd like to see more from going into this new um week you know a couple of these practices i think one i probably say is maybe juju brents uh, i i didn't really feel his presence enough i never want to like you know kill anybody for like their first pieces against especially if they're like a rookie but i thought that you know there's you know obviously opportunities for certain guys to step up alec is probably one that you want to see play better but yeah i'll let you take it from there alec pierce was the one again i'm not it's not me writing him off i just didn't think he had a very good game right and I right to right make those like that play like again He's a big, strong guy, and he drew the pass interference. That's great, but like, make make that play, and you know, in the future, make that play. Keep your feet and turn it into a bigger game. Like he was, he was not that far away from being able to do that. And then obviously the big play touchdown, like just haul it in. Again, I'm not going to harp too much on it. Matt Gay, make your 30 yard field yeah. goal. Like yeah. that would be that would be good. Don't let Colts fans go crazy over another kicker thing. That'd be that'd be great. Too much other things to worry about. So make your kicks, make the chip shots. That was one I I kind of would like to see a little bit more of. And yeah, like. I wasn't like you said, I don't want to get into the rookies too much just because, you know, Juju Brents didn't get to practice a ton yet. You know, I mean, yeah, exactly. A, like a week and a half, maybe even. So it's not even it's not even again. I think you don't want to put too much on him yet. Again, I, I like the way Downs caught the ball. I actually liked him in the return game a little bit. I thought he did well. There was the one pay he had in the open field. He caught the ball across the middle and he had a chance to shake a defender and kind of just ran right into him. I was like, come on. I'm like, make a play in the open field, man. Come on. Like that's, that's, you got space. Like you're shifty. Like you create a yards after the catch, which again, something the Colts could really use. Kylan Granson had a drop that I thought, again, I'm going back to Anthony Richardson a lot. Cause I watched a lot of him, but like make his life easier, do everything you can to make his life. easier. Like Michael Pittman jumped as high as he could and caught that pass out of the air and came down with it for a nice gain. Colin Grants and Alec Pierce, two guys I thought could have just hauled in some passes that would have made Anthony Richardson's day just a little bit easier. And they're going to need guys to do that for him this year. So, and then, yeah, I, I, again, I, I guess I'm doing a stock up, but I thought that, that starting offensive line did a pretty good job of creating some running lanes for the backup running backs who looked pretty good. I thought, I thought Dan Jackson looked okay. I thought Evan Hole looked okay. Again, none of these guys are John Taylor. That's the elephant in the room. I will say that like Dion had some tough runs. Evan Hall, I thought, showed why he was drafted where he was because of the pass catching ability and things like that. However, if you look at the actual run yards just overall, it was not very good. You know, they were pretty stagnant. So, you know, obviously you cannot replace JT unless you just have a clone of JT. But I will say this, like for people that, you know, are just like off the JT train, there will be a significant drop-off overall if he's not available for them this season. I don't think that you can just ragtag it and kind of just have these other, you know, Deion Jackson and, you know, have Evan Hall and have, you know, Zach Moss collectively fill that void to the point where you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, we can just make do without. I don't know about that. I think you'd still need Jonathan Taylor. It just depends on, obviously, what happens with JT. Again, first preseason game. I'll give a stock up to Shane Steichen, I guess, because he made it through play calling wise. And I thought that, you know, that went fine. He seems like a guy who's going to stick with that. Now, obviously, everything was very, very vanilla. So don't, you know, uh, give too much credence to what you saw out there. There was obviously some things you can pick up on. They're not going to show the full repertoire, the full playbook by any means. I mean, who would? It's not smart. And Reggie Wayne had a great tweet in response to someone on Twitter that I retweeted. And he's like, you know, everything's vanilla. If you're worried about what's going on, go have a drink. And I was like, you know what, Reggie? You say 
what all these coaches are thinking, but they just can't say it. But you're Reggie Wayne, and he has, like, we talked about this in the beat, Jim. Reggie is in a great spot because he has a job that he wants but doesn't necessarily need. And his reputation remains unaffected no matter what happens because he's a legend here, potentially a future Hall of Famer, and people love that and won a Super Bowl for the franchise. If you won a Super Bowl for the Colts, you're loved forever. So it is what it is. Every time he opens his mouth, and by that I mean talking or on Twitter, I was like, all right, Reggie, I'm like, quit the coaching thing and just get into a booth, please. Get into a booth. <laughs> let me hear you call a game. Like, I want to hear this honest takes. I love it. Not a lot of receivers, not a lot of receivers in the in the booth. Some, but not a lot. Anyway, so I now again, I know he's probably a good coach and all that stuff. I just I love like his honesty is so good all the time. Yeah, I just said I'd love to hear more from him, but until then, until then, I'm sure Colts receivers are in good hands. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then uh, real quick, I'll, one thing I'll say, last thing I'll say about Reggie Wayne and before we get out of here is that whenever we have the assistant coach availability, Reggie has basically a scrum around him and everyone else may, might have one person. And if they, I mean, depending on who it is, you might leave that person to go see what Reggie is saying because you can ask him anything and you're going to get, you know, a colorful answer, a real answer. And usually a, a little uh, comedy in there as well. So he's a guy who they think very highly of. He has some unfinished business. And again, if you think anybody's beating up Alec Pierce more than himself, it's probably Reggie Wayne who's on him or whatever. So don't worry too much about it. I'm excited. Like I said, for the, this upcoming week, two night practices against the Bears. Not only will we see sort of, you know, the maturation or just the continued development of Anthony Richardson, but I think getting a close look at Justin Fields will be a good for me because I feel like they're kind of on similar journeys, but Justin's like a little bit further along. And if anybody, you know, caught wind of that Bears game, obviously they're like, I'm in the Chicago area right now, back in Romeoville with my family. They're losing their minds because, you know, Justin Fields is like making his case for Canton already. (laughs) He threw um, two passes that like, (laughs) like a total of four yards that went for like two touchdowns and 150. Hey, look, exactly. So I'm excited to see, what he looks like, you know, again, in a similar situation, being a dual threat quarterback, yep. having to learn, having to let go of the ball quicker, those types of things. So, you know, that's all we have on this edition of a quartile for James Boyd. Jamaello, I'll make sure you all uh, have plenty to talk about after the next game. And stay tuned for some stories as well that I'm working on. But thanks for listening. As always, you know, again, don't freak out. Relax. I promise things will be just fine. <laughs>